Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. If you were here last week, or maybe you caught up online, you know that we started a brand new series uh, with the four words that every parent hates from their kids in the backseat of the car. We're calling it, Are We There Yet? And uh, if you're joining us for the first time today and maybe haven't gotten any context, let me spend a couple of moments and just provide a bit for us as we jump into the Word uh, so that we are all on the same page. Um, At the beginning of this year, I had the privilege of introducing the Father's House 2023 theme. Every year around here, we have a, a theme that is traditionally accompanied by a scripture that God has given us for vision and direction for the year. And uh, this year is no exception. Uh, The two words that God has given us for 2023 are every promise. Say them with me. Every promise. Uh, If you noticed, there was a little bit of a a song that we like slightly introduced to you today. Uh, It's coming out later in a couple of weeks. So just you wait. We're going to introduce a new one to you. Um, But that that, uh, phrase, it comes from a portion of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, where we read, every promise in God, of God in Christ is yes. And through Christ, our amen ascends to God for his glory. Or as we were singing out just a moment ago, all your promises are yes and amen. That's what that uh, inspired that song. And uh, what the song and the scripture are telling us, what the Apostle Paul is, is sharing with us here in this text, is that God has made some significant promises to his people in the scriptures. And all of those promises are not only fulfilled in Christ, but they are inherited by all of his followers. If you are here this morning, let me give you a little bit of good news. If you call yourself a a follower of Jesus, you have inherited every single promise that God made in this book to his people. Promises of joy and provision and protection and healing and grace and forgiveness. All of those promises are yours. And Without the, at the risk of dangling a carrot, but we truly do believe this, we, we, we sense as we step into this year that there is a season of fulfillment coming, a season where we're going to begin to see the promises of God fulfilled in our midst, prayers that maybe you've been praying for a long time. We believe that we're walking into a season where they're going to be answered, prophetic words that we're going to begin to step into, where things that you've hoped for for maybe a decade are going to begin to materialize. And this year, mark my words, we're going to knock and ask and seek because we believe that God is answering some prayers and fulfilling some promises. That's a season we're stepping into. But as we've shared each week, when it comes to God's promises, there is principle that we need to be aware of, Uh, a principle that if we're not aware of can lead to uh, periods of frustration as it seems as though God is not doing what he promised he would do in our lives. And that principle is simple, that every promise comes with a prerequisite, an onus of responsibility for us to see what God has promised fulfilled. Often in scripture, it is depicted by a phrase that looks like this, if you, then God. If you fulfill your end of the bargain, then God will fulfill his end of the bargain. As that scripture says, there there is an amen that has to come from us. And generally that amen is accompanied by action. It's not just some flippant act of faith where a bunch of charismatics name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. That's mine. Amen. There is something that God asks of us in order to step into his promises. And as I gave the disclaimer last week, I offer it once again, and we'll probably do that every single week. We need to also offer this thought that sometimes the delay in God's promises is divine. 
Sometimes he is, sometimes he's intentionally waiting to fulfill things because in the delay, he is maturing you for the fulfillment of that promise. I used a bad example, but I had a couple of chats this week. I'm going to use it again. You might be asking God for a spouse right now. And it's not that he hasn't promised you such a thing. It's that he is maturing you in this season so that when you step into that season of fulfillment, it doesn't end in divorce. It ends until death do you part. There is a maturation process that takes place in the delay. But often the delay is not divine when it comes to God's promises. Often the delay is a result of our own disobedience. It's us not fulfilling the if you part of the equation. So God is not fulfilling the then I part of the equation. And so each week during this season, we are tapping into uh, the frustration of delay. And we are looking at a different one of God's promises from scripture as we pose a question for consideration. Why am I not there yet? What is keeping me from stepping into what God has promised? Is this divine or is it something that I am doing or not doing that's preventing me from inheriting that which God has promised to me? Last week, we hit the subject of freedom. We talked about the question, why am I not free yet? And if you missed that, you can go back and check it out online or uh, on the podcast. Uh, but I do wanna draw our attention to one of the keys we discussed last weekend because we have an opportunity to step into it today at sundown, and that was the key of fasting. I told you, you gotta fake it when you hear that word, man. Amen, that's so good, yeah. Fasting. Um, we are stepping in tonight at sundown to our annual seven-day fast as a church. Uh, and I want to invite you to join us in that process. You can find all the information about it online, uh, prayer points, all of that. Um, but man, I really believe that God is going to break some stuff off of us and prepare us for things he wants to do in our lives as we set aside these seven days to seek him. And if you've never fasted before or you need a little bit of information, I'll remind us again, go to the app, go to the website. There's a guide to prayer and fasting on there. You can read about all the different kinds of fasts that, that people are stepping into. Uh, additionally, in that guide, there's information about people who might be struggling with a medical condition that would make it difficult to fast. There's info in there about that. Uh, maybe even some who would have a history of eating disorders and feel nervous about stepping into fasting. There's some info in there about that. But I also want to say this. Just have a little faith as you step into this as well because God knows your unique situation. He knows your body chemistry. He knows all of those things. And if the Holy Spirit is drawing you into a season to fast, rest assured he's going to take care of everything he needs to take care of so that you can step into what he's calling you to do. Amen. So, so join us for that. But speaking of fasting, I need to take a moment as we get into today's content and apologize because coincidentally today I'm going to be talking all about food. <laughs> I know it's just how it landed in the sermons. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that's my bad. I guess it's not a terrible thing because at the conclusion of service today, you can still eat until sundown so you can enjoy your food. We should feel bad for the people that didn't come to church today and are going to listen to the sermon on Tuesday in the middle of the fast and then start to connect. That's your bad. You should have been at church. All right. It's not my bad. That's on you. So, but today I want to talk about food. And the reason I want to talk about food is because I want to discuss a question that is equally as elusive as the subject we discussed last week, that, that, that subject of freedom. And today, the, the question I want us to consider in keeping with the pattern of this series is this. Why am I not fulfilled yet? Why am I not fulfilled yet? 
Today's all about fulfillment. And I don't mean that cheap version of fulfillment where you have all that you need, you're sitting on stacks of cash, everybody's healthy, life is good, and you're in the middle of pleasant circumstances, because that one is fleeting. I'm talking about that deep, internal, soul-settling satisfaction. That feeling on the inside that I am in the center of God's will for my life. I am satisfied. I am fulfilled. And the reason you cannot discuss fulfillment without talking about food, as we go to the scriptures, you'll see, is because every time you see that word fulfillment or satisfied in the Bible, it is generally accompanied by the analogy of food. Specifically, that feeling that you have at the conclusion of a meal when you've eaten just enough, but not too much, the meal was excellently prepared, the food was exactly what you were hoping for, and you have that exhale moment where you just lean back in your chair, unbutton your top button and go, that was good. That's what scripture speaks to as fulfillment. And I don't know about you, but that speaks to me on a very deep and personal level. <laughs> where is everyone in the room that loves them some food? Come on, where are my people who love a good meal today? All right. Man, I love food. My wife and I, we would consider ourselves amateur foodies. And our basis for qualification there is just that we love food. I don't know if there's any other qualification, but that's why we consider ourselves amateur foodies. And we were talking about this a week or two ago. Uh, we, we do center a lot of our lives around eating, around food. That's why it's hard to fast. It just feels like everything is, is revolving around a table. In fact, we even plan our vacations around food. A anyone else like that? Where you're just like, I I'm not going there if the food's not good. Okay, yeah. It makes sense. I bet if you were to walk up to Robin at the conclusion of the message today and say, describe your dream day of vacation, this is what she would say. I'm in some foreign place I've never been to before, and I'm walking down the street, and there's a bunch of little restaurants, and I'm just stopping in each one of them to eat a little bit of food here, and then a little bit of food here, grab an appetizer over there, grab an entree over here, and just touring a city through food. Doesn't that sound dreamy today? Yeah, that's the perfect day. And because of our love for food, uh, when friends of ours who don't live in the city come to visit, uh, we, we often get this question that you've probably been asked before by friends. What is your favorite restaurant in all of San Francisco? And that's a loaded question if you love food. And when you live in a city like this, it's an Epicurean delight. There's so many options. Uh, it's like asking a musician what their favorite song is or who's the best artist of all time. Well, that's Michael Jackson. But, you know, you get the point. Don't laugh. <laughs> if this is your church, it's Michael Jackson. Let's just be clear on that right now. Okay. But after years of searching, I know it's hard to believe but I have discovered my favorite restaurant in all of San Francisco. I have a favorite, which is hard to say, but I have a favorite. And I'm, I'm reticent to share it because if I do, you're gonna make reservations and you're gonna make it more difficult for me to get in there. It's already difficult to get in right now. But actually someone told me after the first service they know the owner so I can get in whenever I want now. Hey, okay. So I'm gonna tell you so you can wait in line with the rest of the suckers, all right? <laughs> my favorite restaurant in all of San Francisco is a little place uh, tucked away in the Fillmore called State Bird Provisions. Anyone ever eaten there before? 
Okay, some of you locals know what I'm talking about. All right, state bird for, for uh, provisions. It's a little Michelin star spot with a ever-changing menu. And I, I wrote this down so I didn't, I didn't get it wrong. They describe themselves as adventurous, inventive, and thoughtfully delicious. I love I'm gonna put that on the front of the Father's house. We are adventurous, inventive, and thoughtfully delicious. I think that's a perfect description. And, and it fits them to the T. The food is incredible. But, but what I love about this place is not just the quality of the food. It is the quantity and the pace at which the food is served. So if you ever go to this restaurant uh, and you sit down, you'll notice they have a few staple items on the menu. But everything else at the restaurant in any given evening is a surprise. You'll sit down with your party and all throughout the night, every couple of moments, a new waiter or waitress will come around and they'll be carrying a tray or they'll, they'll have a, a cart with little small bites that you can say, oh, I'll, I'll take one of those. And, oh, that looks good, cool. I'll take one of those. And all night long, they just keep bringing these beautiful dishes around to the side of your table. And every one of them, it's inventive, it's creative, it's incredible. In fact, I've never left that place not mind blown, just going, this is the best meal I've ever had in my life. But I've also never left that place feeling unsatisfied. I've always walked away feeling fulfilled. I've never eaten too much because of the pace. I've always enjoyed what I ate. And I also didn't leave that place hungry, which is the worst. If you go to a restaurant, spend a bunch of money, and then you're like, I gotta go get a double-double right now because it's just, I got a little, yeah. That's the worst. Now I've walked away going, I got just the right amount of food. Nothing more is needed. Nothing more is desired. I am satisfied. Now let's go fast. <laughs> I love it. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that this form of satisfaction is not restricted to our stomachs. That there is a form of satisfaction available to the human soul where you are no longer in need. There's nothing more that you desire. Your soul is settled. There is a state of exhale where you can just go, I know I am exactly where God has called me to be. And the word the Bible uses to describe this spiritual reality in the Greek, in the New Testament, is the word chortazo. Chortazo. Why don't we all say it together, shall we? Chortazo. Dig deep into your throat. Come on. Chortazo. Yes. And the word defined, it means to fulfill or to satisfy desire. I love that word, desire. To fulfill or to satisfy your deepest of desires. To be clear, it isn't some state of passivity where you acquiesce or abandon the the, the desire to accomplish anything. It's not just a lazy existence where you're like, well, say la vie, things are the way they are. That's how it's always gonna be. I guess I'm fine. That's not what it's saying. No, it is a settling of the soul. You're not anxious. You're not trying to figure out what's next. You are just fulfilled fully and completely in Jesus. You are satisfied. And, and I think that is the aim, the desire, the chase of every human on planet Earth, believer and unbeliever alike, we all are wired. There's a puzzle piece missing in our heart for satisfaction. Everybody wants it, but the problem is no one knows where to find it. So we spend our lives chasing the places we think it will be discovered. 
often falling into the category of next. The next opportunity will surely satisfy. The, 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 the next title, the next promotion, the next uh, pay scale, the next relationship status, the next location. I, I know that the next chapter is where I'm going to be satisfied because I'm not satisfied right now. But while we spend our lives chasing what is next, we continually arrive at a place where we realize that nothing we've been chasing satisfies. We are left longing, wondering where we can find what our heart so desires. The wisest man to ever live, Solomon said it like this in, in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20. He says, man searches, but is never satisfied. Or if you prefer a more modern prophet, I offer the rolling stones. I can't get no satisfaction, but I try and I try. Okay, some of you don't like that one. How about um, David Gruel, Foo Fighters? All my life I've been searching for something, something never comes, never leads to nothing, nothing satisfies. Our church is too young. Your music, music is horrible, all right? So I've only got old school stuff to offer. Everybody wants it, but we don't know where to find it. And yet scripture promises that it exists. Not only that it exists, but it's available to all of us. Psalm 107, he satisfies the longing in our souls. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. For he forgives all of my sin, he heals all of my disease, and he satisfies me to the core of my soul. Even the Apostle Paul speaks of this satisfaction in Philippians 4, where he says, I have learned the secret of satisfaction, and it's not found when I have plenty or when I'm in lack, whether I'm housed or I'm unhoused. My circumstances surrounding me do not matter. I am satisfied in my soul in Christ. It's promised in the Bible. And yet, even believers can't seem to find it. There still seems to be this longing in our heart for something we're chasing, but we can't lay hold of, which should cause us to ask why. I think anytime you read a reality in the Bible that you're not experiencing, you need to ask yourself, why? Why am I not fulfilled yet? And to answer that question, uh, we have to go to the source of all fulfillment, don't we? Not what's surrounding us or what we're chasing, but to Jesus himself. And these are the words of Jesus as it pertains to fulfillment. It's found in the opening lines of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, verse six. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. For they shall be fulfilled. In using the same analogy of food here, Jesus uses our word for the day, chortazzo. And he says, you shall be fulfilled. I love that language. It's not up for debate. It's not a possibility for some, but not for others. It's not a question. He says emphatically, you shall be fulfilled. This is a promise I am making to you. From the lips of Jesus, he said, there is such a thing for you, son, for you, daughter, to know what it is to be settled in your soul. But like the pattern we've been considering, there's a prerequisite. A 
Apparently, that prerequisite has everything to do with our appetite. He says, if you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. It's not just an issue of hunger. It's directed hunger. It's hunger for the right thing. He didn't say, if you hunger and thirst for fulfillment, you will be fulfilled. He knows that you long for fulfillment. He knows that you want to be satisfied. He knows that you're hungry and you're thirsty. Some of y'all are more thirsty than others. He knows what you long for. Sorry, that was mean. But he says the only way to find that which your soul is looking for is to have a hunger for the right thing. To hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what is righteousness? It's just a fancy biblical word that means the things of God. It's the character of God. The nature of God. It's right standing with God where there is nothing separating you from him. Righteousness is right thinking and right speaking and right living. It is a life that is good and pleasing and perfect to him. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst to live a holy life. Not to ask the question, how much can I get away with before it becomes sin? But to be so settled in your soul that you just want to be close to God and you won't let anything come between the two of you. It's to love and to give and to serve and to invest your life in the ever longing purpose of your heart to build the kingdom of Jesus here on planet earth and settle for not building your own. It's not about your comfort or your kingdom or your savings. It's about saying, Jesus, I want to invest all that I have in what you are building on planet earth it is about your church or bust and that's it that's righteousness and Jesus says if you hunger and thirst for that the baby echoed me that was awesome (laughs) if that is the hunger of your heart you will find what you long for you will find satisfaction you will be filled I promise you Jesus says which should cause us to ask another question in our minds. Apparently, if we're not feeling fulfilled or satisfied, it's not a problem with God's promise. It's a problem with our palate. It's an issue of our appetite. If we are unfulfilled, it is likely because our hunger is directed at the wrong thing. So uh, let me pose the question as confronting as it may be. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? State bird provisions. What are you hungry for? (laughs) What desires are directing your life? What do you obsess over? What keeps you up? What's constantly crossing your mind? What gets the best of your focus, your intention, your energy, your passion? What are you truly hungry for? Because listen, you, you, can, you can pretend like you're hungry for the things of God. Plenty of people do. But ultimately, your life will speak for itself. That which you're most passionate about, it will drive all of your decisions. 
It'll drive your life. It has the steering wheel. What are you truly hungry for? And it's important that you answer that question honestly, that you look yourself in the mirror and you have an honest come to Jesus moment with you. Because listen to me very carefully. That what you're hungry for will direct your diet. You will consume the very things that you crave. You cannot help yourself. And I am convinced that the reason that so many believers are not fulfilled is because they are pre-filled with a lot of other stuff. They've been feasting on too many other things they had a diet for. Allow me to illustrate. And disclaimer, um, this is probably one of the most ridiculous illustrations I've ever done on a Sunday morning. And I almost didn't do it, but my hope is that it's so bad that it's good. That's, that's my hope today. Because sometimes things are so bad that, that they, they can be good. If ultimately your hunger is what determines your diet, then we need to be aware, cognizant, when our flesh begins to hunger for some things. Because if we're not careful, we'll feed it the wrong stuff. Let's pretend that this is your life for a moment. And maybe you find yourself in a season where you are hungry for companionship. You're single. Uh-oh, yeah, he gonna go there, yeah. <laughs> You're hungry for companionship. Everybody else has got a spouse. Everybody else is dating. I alone am single. I'm sick and tired of this single life. And man, I got, I got an appetite. I need me a man. I need me a lady. And it's, it's stirring and agitating and your stomach is grumbling for companionship. Be careful in those moments when you're hungry for that. Because if you're not careful, you will settle for a quick and a cheap version of companionship that is not the man of God and not the woman of God. And you'll just start filling yourself up on some sugar daddies. Yes. <laughs> Or maybe you, one of the dudes here, and it's booty that you're gonna some pie. Just a bucket full of booty, okay. <laughs> so I was like, this is the last Sunday I'm ever coming to this church. I'm done. That pastor, he lost me. Just hold on, hold on. Come back to me, people. I have I've lost the room. Okay, come on, come on. <laughs> Stop, Brittany. Stop it right now. Maybe it's not companionship. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're starving for success. I mean, we live in a culture like that, don't we? Everybody's hungry. Where can I lateral? Where can I go? More money, success, success, success. It, 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 can, it can tempt the taste buds. It can cause you to, to begin to invest the entirety of your life in your career. To the detriment of your family, to the detriment of your relationships, to the detriment of your spiritual health, you can just chase and chase and chase success. But be careful when you have an appetite for success because you'll find that you'll just keep chasing the next hundred grand and the next hundred grand and the next hundred grand. And it doesn't matter how many of them you keep putting inside your bank account, you still don't find satisfaction. I told you it was a cheesy illustration. Or, or, or maybe it's the opposite of the career. Maybe you don't even know 
where the career life ends and the personal life begins because they seem to be competing with one another. And so your hunger is for rest. Now, listen, that's not a bad thing. We'll talk about it in another sermon during this series because rest is a promise God has made to all of us. But you need to be careful when you are starving for rest because that appetite can drive you to things that will not satisfy. You'll, get, you'll begin chasing endless vacations that keep you out of community and the cultural version of self-care and still feel like your soul is never rested, but all you're doing is you're just vegging out. I know, that one was bad. It's for the vegans. For all the vegans in the room, you're welcome. There you go. Just filling up. Jazzy gave me that one, so if you don't like it, take it up with our kids' pastor. Or how about the, the hunger for affirmation? I just want people to, to like me, to say nice things about me. I never got what I was looking for from the people that I thought should have given it to me when I was a child. And so I spend my life seeking the affirmation of other people. There's a whole generation looking for that right now. A generation of people that are desperate for someone to just tell them that they love them or they look pretty. And so they, they selfie and then they clip and then they edit and then they post and then they filter and then they post. All the while, they'll just fill it up on the gram, the gram, the gram. Is this helping anybody today? Okay. I got one more for you. Maybe you're starving for friendship. Like so many people in this city, you're surrounded by humans, but you feel alone. You're just longing for someone that knows you knows your heart, knows your story. Again, a, a godly desire to be around people, but be careful with that appetite because in haste, you might settle for someone that does not sharpen you like iron sharpens iron. You might settle for the people that like to do things that are contrary to your convictions. And instead of taking your time and asking God to bring the right community around you, your appetite for friendship will get you to settle with some frosted, flaky people. Yes. You're welcome. This is how so many of our lives look. We just fill up and fill up and fill up and try to fill the void but never find the satisfaction that we thought we would find in these things. And then we come to God and we're like, Lord, would you fill me up? As we were singing earlier, fill me up, fill me up. And God is looking back going, I would love to fulfill you, but I can't because you are pre-filled with a bunch of other stuff that will never truly satisfy your life. Side note, not to beat a dead horse or preach another sermon again, but this is why fasting is so important. This is why what we're stepping into this week is going to be so significant, for it is in fasting that we begin to empty our lives of all of these other things that are holding us back from being filled up by Jesus, and we say, I'm ready now. I got a vessel that you can fill with your presence and with your power. Come and fill me up. And he's like, I can work with that. You're not pre-filled with a bunch of other stuff. But it starts with a hunger. A hunger and a thirst for righteousness. So I guess then the million-dollar follow-up question becomes, if ultimately my, de my desire is determined by my hunger, my, my cravings determine what I consume, then how do I cultivate a craving for the good stuff? 
How do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. You can never crave that which you've never tasted before. So if we're going to develop a hunger for the things of God, it starts with a taste. You need to taste and see. I love this scripture from the psalmist David, Psalm 34, verse 8. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He, he keeps with the same pattern we've been discussing throughout this entire series thus far. He starts with the end in mind. He says, hey, God's good. He, he is so good and so satisfying and so rich. Everything you need is found in him. But before you will ever see that he is good, you have to taste. That seeing begins with a taste. Uh, it reminds me of Costco and the little tables all around Costco with the microwaves and the hair-netted senior citizens and the toothpicks and... You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. That's my retirement job. I'm just telling you right now. Y'all gonna see me in coma like, hey, here you go. But, but Costco knows that you did not walk into the warehouse to buy the item that they're peddling from that table. They know you got other stuff on, on your list. But their hope is that as you walk by Bertha, You smell what's cooking inside that microwave and you're like, oh, oh, what you got there, girl? And you just pick up the toothpick and, and take a little taste. Th their hope is that you will taste and you will see that what they're selling is good. And listen, God is confident in his product. He knows that what he has is good. He knows that if you get a taste of his presence or a taste of his grace or a taste of his forgiveness or a taste of his love, that you will see that there is nothing else on this planet like that which you have been called to taste. But he also knows the only way you're going to see it is if you taste it first. I, I honestly think this is where modern churches, especially large churches, fail so many times. If we are not careful, this is a trap that we can fall into as the Father's house. And I'm preaching to the guy standing on the stage right now because here's what I think so many times we try to do in church. We try to get people to see that he is good before they taste that he is good. We try to paint this beautiful picture of Jesus. We use our eloquent words and, and we craft the sermons and, and we post and, and we tell stories and we share videos and pictures and, and try to make the community of God look beautifully appealing. And we're like, don't you see how good he is? And listen to me, those things are not bad. I'm not suggesting that we stop doing any of those things. I've talked to people in this community that are here because you stumbled upon a profile on Instagram and you were inspired to step back into the house of God. He uses all of those things to draw people unto himself. But listen to me very carefully. If those things do not bring people to a table where they can taste and they can see that God is good, if it does not bring people to an encounter with his love and his grace and true life transformation, then they are tools that we are using for the wrong reason because nobody is transformed by seeing an Instagram post. They are only transformed by the presence of the one who their soul is longing for. 
That's why I can't be one of those churches where we just sit back and fold our arms and, and we sing a couple of hymns and pat you on the back and send you on your way. That's why people spin in circles when they're leading you in worship up here and we wait in moments during worship and linger for the presence of God. It's because someone's going to walk into these doors every single week and I do not want them to encounter a beautifully polished service. I want them to encounter the presence of Jesus because only his presence, only tasting of his goodness will transform their lives. You got to taste and then you can see that he is good. And maybe this is some of your application to the sermon today. Maybe you are here this morning and you've been sitting on the sidelines spectating for a long time. You've never tasted. You've never stepped over that line and said, I'm going to I'm going to give this faith journey a try. That is your application. Jesus is the hair netted senior citizen offering you a taste today to come and see that he is good. And in just a few moments before we conclude, I will offer an opportunity to pray and make that decision to step over the line. But here's what I also know. I also know that there's a lot of people in this room right now who have tasted and you have seen that God is good. You know what his presence tastes like. And yet you still feel unfulfilled. You still feel agitated in your soul. You still can't settle and be satisfied. Well, then my second thought to you before we conclude, and I'll invite the worship team to come with this. Maybe you don't need to taste and see. Maybe you need to choose to feast. Choose to feast. Back to Costco. <laughs> the goal of those tables is not just that you would taste. It's not that you would come back day after day, week after week, and continue to eat toothpick food. That's not the goal. In fact, if you did, you'd probably be kicked out of Costco. <laughs> no, the goal in giving you a sample, offering a taste, is that you would buy the product and you'd take it home. The goal of tasting is that you would purchase and continue to consume that which you have tasted. And as it is for the warehouse, so it is in the Father's house. <laughs> so it is in the Lord's house. God's design for your life is not that you would come and get food on a toothpick once a week for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's not that you'd be spoon-fed the gospel for a cute little service and then you'd go about life as normal for six and a half days the rest of your week. In fact, I will submit to you, if this is the only spiritual meal that you are having on any given week, then not only will you never be satisfied, but you will not even survive as a follower of Jesus. Because man was not created to live on a toothpick of food alone. No, the design of all of this, the design of salvation is not just the local church, but it's that you would come and you would taste of what God is offering, and then you'd begin to bring that home that your house would become a place of worship, that your car would become a place where you call out unto the name of Jesus, that your coworkers and your, your kids and your family members, they would experience the same thing you've tasted because they're around someone who continues to cultivate an environment where others can taste and see that he is good. You gotta bring this home with you. And so if you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, I'm still not fulfilled, but you're not feasting, then your application is this. It's time 
to indulge in the meal that God is setting before you. There is a table being placed before you. This week, as we step into this fast, not real food, but Holy Ghost food. Get into the Word. Get into prayer. Turn your house into a place of worship. Turn on some music. Begin to lift up your voice to the King of Kings. And let's feast on the spiritual table that has been set before us. Because here's one thing I can tell you after 20 years of pursuing Jesus. When you begin to feast on the things of God, your appetite will change. Your diet will follow suit. Your cravings will follow suit. Your flesh will bow down and your spirit will begin to take control as you begin to push back the natural things and you feast on the things of the spirit. Suddenly you will have that insatiable hunger for righteousness. And according to Jesus, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's where satisfaction is found. Your soul will be settled. We pray over us as, as we conclude with that in mind. Holy Spirit, we thank you today for this invitation. We thank you that um, as we step into this week and our physical bodies begin to suffer at the need for food, that our spirits are being strengthened. We thank you that you're bringing answers to questions and clarity to confusion and you're bringing healing to brokenness and stability to broken spaces. Most importantly, we thank you that we are emptying ourselves out so that you can fill us with that that satisfies. Right now, we just give our lives, and especially these next seven days over to you. Fill us, rewire our hunger. I speak to men and women who maybe as teenagers were so passionate and hungry and desperate for the things of God, but have grown stale in their pursuit of you. God, let that hunger be stirred up again. Let the desire be stirred up again. As David said, may the joy of my salvation come once again. We pray for these things today. And as I promised a moment ago, I do want to make space for those who would say, I need to taste. I need to step over that line and see that God is good. Uh, maybe you're here today and someone invited you and you're hearing for the first time that there is a satisfaction available in Jesus or maybe you've been in, at a distance from God for years but you sense the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart and saying hey come back taste again and see that God is good wherever you land on that continuum I want to pray a very simple prayer of commitment with you before we conclude today and the beauty of this moment is that upon your confession of faith your eternity is spoken for heaven is real for you you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to spend an eternity with Christ. If that's you this morning and you say, Tim, I need to pray that along with you today, would you shoot up your hand and look at me so that I can pray with you? Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, I got you in the back, bro. Yeah, right here. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, wow. Right here. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Got you. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Come on. I, I was looking at you this whole service, and that's cool. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's pray together, if we could, as a church family, with those making this decision, and lift your voice so they don't feel alone. Everyone say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you and to be your disciple. Forgive me of my sin and help me to walk in your ways from this day forward. 
until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's lift a shout of praise for all those people making that decision. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.